Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life Coach Radio Network. This is Dr. Nikki Tobias. We're going to be talking today with Jennifer Miracle Best around um, GLBTQ issues. If you don't know what that means, we'll talk about that, too. And um, all this brouhaha around uh, bathroom laws and transgender issues and um, and just all the controversy and, and where that's coming from. Um, we're hearing a lot about it in the media, but I really felt as though what the media was portraying was not um, all there was to the story. And so I'm hoping that um, this conversation we have today helps to inform and enlighten some folks and um, clarify some of the issues that, that uh, are, are coming up around um, this discussion. And, um, you know, that, that it just continues a conversation around uh, civility and, and equality and um, even just diversity and difference and uniqueness. So uh, I want to welcome Jennifer Miracle-Best. Jen, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks so much for having me on your show. I'm excited to be here with you today. Um, yeah, so my name is Jennifer Miracle Best, and I am a public speaker uh, and consultant that teaches about gender and sexuality. And um, that uh, experience really comes from both my lived experience and my professional experience. And uh, I uh, was formerly the director of the LGBT Resource Center. Um, at the University of Georgia. Um, prior to that, I worked at Central Michigan University, my alma mater, where I really got the experience um, that I needed, the practical experience I needed to do my job well at Georgia. Um, I kind of got started doing this work. Oftentimes people meet me and they're confused because, one, they perceive me as a straight woman, <laughs> and, two, when they find out the work that I do, the question is always, oh, how did you get into doing that? Because they still perceive me as a straight person. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I first got involved in doing this work um, when I was working as a, as a professional at Central Michigan. Um, I had a student that I worked with who had recently left our department to go work in the Office of Gay and Lesbian Programs. Um, and that student had suggested that I participate in what they call um, speaker panels, um, which was basically going into the classrooms and telling your coming out story and allowing students the opportunity to kind of ask the questions that they, you know, not, were not able to necessarily ask just anyone. Um, and initially, I was a little bit apprehensive about that. I was not sure that I felt comfortable going into a room full of strangers and telling my coming out story. Uh, but my friend, you know, convinced me to come to the training and, you know, see what it was about. And so I did that. Um, and I did a couple of speaker panels. And within, you know, the first two or three, I was hooked. It was such an opportunity, one, to be, you know, kind of to be my authentic self, to share my truth. 
and to see the light go on for people um, because this would have been early 2000s. So, um, you know, things were a bit different at the time. And, you know, it was not necessarily something that people were comfortable talking about. And so it was great. It was a great opportunity to kind of open the dialogue and see the light go on for people. And so that um, basically snowballed while I was there. It went from me, you know, sitting on speaker panels to facilitating speaker panels to facilitating trainings. And basically by the time I left there eight years later, um, pretty much anything that had anything to do with diversity or social justice training or those kinds of things I had my hand in. Um, and so somewhere along the way, we had our first out trans student coming to campus. And um, because of my involvement with the Office of Gay and Lesbian Programs, I was invited to be a part of this day-long in-service that they were doing. Um, you know, they wanted to best prepare their campus staff to, you know, provide services to the student. And so they brought in the director of the LGBT Resource Center at uh, Michigan State University at the time, and they did a, uh, a day-long in-service. And that just kind of blew my mind because at the time, I really I had heard the term transgender. I didn't really get it, though. I didn't really understand exactly what it meant. Um, and so through that training, I just remember being, like, mind-blown. Like, I, I thought to that point, like, wow, I thought it was rough being a lesbian, you know, and all of the things that you never thought about, one of which, of course, was the bathroom, um, but relationships and jobs and, you know, when and if you disclose those things and um, just really, really had my mind spinning. And it also lit this kind of passion in me. It was just, it was really a really turning point for me in my professional career because at the end of that training, I went up to, you know, the facilitator um, just said, you know, I want to do what you do. I've got a bachelor's degree. I'm sure I need a master's. I don't know on what, but I want to do this. Like, what do I do? And mm -hmm. uh, he kind of gave me the feedback that, you know, most people who do what he, he, he was doing get a degree in, in student affairs, a master's degree in student affairs, or educational leadership, which is what I pursued the following semester. I started my uh, master's at Central Michigan and and just really – uh, with with the goal of becoming a director of an LGBT resource center. Like, that was mm -hmm. my dream. Like, this is what I want to do. And so I did my master's. Um, I, gosh, I don't even, I'm not even sure what year that was. I think it must have been maybe 2004 or so. Uh, and I had not even completed my master's when I left Central Michigan University for the job at Georgia. Um and wound up at, at the University of Georgia. It was my, it really was truly my dream job. Um, had an amazing experience there. It was certainly um, challenging and rewarding. Um, doing this work in the South was, was different than I expected in a lot of different ways, um, one of which was that I thought for sure being in the South the trans community would be the one I would need to work hardest to connect with. Mm -hmm. um, how, however, as it turned out, when I got to Georgia, there was a very, a very significant um, trans community. Uh, a lot of the students that I was working with there already, you know, identified as trans. Some of which, and this will kind of give you some perspective about where I was at, even in my own journey. Some of which I didn't recognize as identifying as trans until you know they shared same things with me or things were shared about them, and so. Um, it just became, you know, more and more uh, kind of a focus 
of the work I was doing. And over the, I was at Georgia for five years, which is where I met Nikki. Um, and over the time there, I think it just really molded my perspective about how intertwined gender and sexuality really are. And we're going to talk mm-hmm. about that. We're going to talk about what the difference between gender identity and sexual orientation are. Um, and at the same time, they're kind of all wrapped up in each other. And so um, continued to do the work there. And really the main reason that I left Georgia was for love. And interestingly enough, um, I was during my time at Georgia, I was reconnected with my now husband uh, who also happens to be transgender. <laughs> and so there's just been kind of this divine, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like this divine draw, like this divine uh, force that's kind of guided me on my path of doing this work. Um, mm-hmm. And so now I left uh, I left Georgia in 2013 to uh, move back to Michigan, which is where I'm originally from, uh, for love, but also to first do, you know, doing what I really loved most about my work at Georgia, which was going into the classroom and engaging people in conversations they weren't necessarily comfortable having. And so um, I have been doing, you know, public speaking engagements on different campuses um, and just really love doing that work. And that is kind of what brings me to here today with Nikki. Mm-hmm. So really quickly, let's, um, let me give you a chance to tell people how they can find you. So if somebody wanted to talk with you more about this topic or consider hiring you, um, how would someone find you to be able to do that? Absolutely. Uh, so there's a couple different ways. I do have a website that is um, jennifermiracle.com. Uh, I also have a Facebook public figure page, which is Jennifer Miracle Best. There's a hyphen between my last name. I hit the last name jackpot, Miracle Best. <laughs> yeah. um, and my email address is jennifer at jennifermiracle.com. So there's a couple of different ways. You can also friend me on Facebook. Great, good. Um, and so you started mentioning moving back to Michigan for love and um, talking about your your partner. Um, I know it's kind of a long, convoluted story. Is there a way to do it briefly to help people understand um, <laughs> sure. your evolution and his, frankly, and how those sure. things happen sort of simultaneously? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I wasn't sure as part of my story how much I should get into, so thanks for the clarification. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so Ethan and I actually met for the first time in 1997, almost, what is that, almost 20 years ago now. It's crazy. Um, and when we first met, I was his RA uh, at Central Michigan University. And um, he kind of propositioned me then, you know, uh, the, the story would tell us he, he wanted to kiss me, just wanted to kiss me. And I told him no <laughs> um, and that I was his RA and I couldn't date him. And, um, and you know, I, so, but it, as things would go, I actually ended up turning around and dating his roommate, which is a horrible. It's like I often joke to him, like, I was kind of a jerk. Like, I don't even know why you're still talking to me much less wanting to marry me. But, mm-hmm. um his roommate and I dated for four years. Um, fortunately, it didn't hurt our friendship. We were, you know, we were friends. We, you know, had actually a very good relationship. Um, 
and kind of I graduated that year and we kind of all kind of went our separate ways. Um, and then seven years later we crossed paths again when I was fresh out of a relationship and I actually came across him on Yahoo Personals, if that <laughs> tells you at all, uh, dating myself, I guess. Um, and so, but it was, again, it was just like, oh, my gosh, I hadn't seen him in, well, like seven years at least. And I was just, holy cow, we should get together um, and, you know, invited him to kind of just get reacquainted and not with any intention of it being a date. Of course, it ended up being the epitome of a date. Um, and so about a week or so later, we, I, I invited him, I, I had gone to visit him initially and uh, a week or so later, I invited him back to my house to visit me and, um, things didn't go as planned there either. I had some friends that showed up, um, unannounced, which wasn't an uncommon situation at the time. And when that happened, he saw all of my energy be drawn to this other person. And so he was like, okay, great. I can see how this is going to go again. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, kind of disappointed after I had gone to sleep, after actually he thought I went, had gone to sleep, he got up and left. Um, and so we're not really sure how we came back from that because we've never really, neither of us can remember kind of a conversation or a follow-up to that. But we, about a year later, did end up hanging out, you know, with our significant others. So, um, again, we kind of went our separate ways and life carried on um, and for another seven years. And uh, then we crossed paths again. In the meantime, we kind of stayed in touch on MySpace and then Facebook when that happened. And um, at some point he contacted me, I think it was in 2010, late 2010, uh, because he was going to be transitioning and he worked for the federal government and was wanting to, you know, kind of um, talk to me about what I knew about his rights and, you know, how that could go. Um, okay, so, so let me interject right here for the folks that are confused. So you have repeatedly called him him, but yes. at that point he was a she and you were a lesbian. Right. Yes. Um, I just want to get clear about all that for the folks yep, that are yep. trying to <laughs> that's stay a I often get. Yeah. with the story. Because you had mentioned that everybody perceives you as a heterosexual woman and that you weren't. So at that point, right. all up until through this story now, he was a she and you were a lesbian woman. And now yes. that person is contacting you saying, I am contemplating transitioning um, from female to male. And can you help me just think this through sort of logistically and legally? What right. are my rights? Can I get fired yeah. about this? How do I do right. it um, appropriately, quote, unquote, if, if that even makes sense? Right. And right. so now you Absolutely. all are in that conversation. So go ahead. I just want to make yes. sure we clarify for everyone. Yes. No, and I'm glad that you asked that question, and I'd like to share why I tell the story this way, because I've been challenged about this in the classroom. I remember I had a student who got really frustrated. Like, they felt like I was somehow duping or tricking that, like confusing them on purpose. <laughs> um, and I explained to them that, you know, the reason that I always refer to Ethan with male pronouns is because even though on his birth certificate or his driver's license or whatever, it said female, never in his life really did he identify as a woman. Like it was not necessarily something he always could articulate, but ultimately 
you know, he's always kind of felt this masculine energy. And so I honor that identity, even as I talk about him in retrospect. And so that is confusing for people sometimes. So yes, at this point in the story, he was still legally female. Um, although he may have, he definitely at that point didn't identify as female, but legally everything was still female. And he was um, contacting me for assistance and like, what, you know, how, what are, how am I protected? How am I not protected? Those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I, you know, provided him with whatever resources that I had because I, um, you know, mostly had been working on college campuses, but I was familiar, of course, with some of the law. And so, um, you know, pro- connected him with some folks. And we continued to kind of be in contact. And at some point, a few months later, he contacted me to, um, or no, I contacted him, letting him know I had met someone in Athens who had had top surgery, which is the removal of the breast tissue, um, with a doctor in Atlanta that was amazing because he was looking for a top a top surgeon. And so I had contacted him and said, you know, I, I know someone, let me see if I can get the information for you. And um Eventually, he, after doing some research and, and looking into various factors, he decided that that was the doctor that he thinks he thought he wanted to go with, and so he was going to come down for a consultation. And so uh, he planned to come down. Um, it happened to be the weekend, a big weekend for us in Athens because it was lavender graduation. It was a, a big bike race downtown, Twilight. Um, it was Athens Pride. There were like five million things happening that weekend. And so that's relevant only because, you know, I told him, like, you're welcome to come, you know, just know that I'll be really busy. You can go with me to everything or you don't have to go to anything. It's totally up to you. Um, and he did. He came. He, you know, met me. I was out on Friday night when he got there for somebody's birthday. Um, and we just had a really amazing weekend. And what Tell everybody what came, Lavender Graduation is. Oh, thank you. Lavender Graduation is a graduation ceremony for students who identify as LGBT. Um, because like many uh, marginalized identities, there are, you know, some, some challenges that students face of not having the support of their parents or, you know, their family. Um, and so it's a, it, it's, a, it's a big accomplishment. And so we try to honor, you know, that journey with a Lavender graduation. Um, and so um, it, it was a – he came to the weekend with no expectations based on our test. Our, our track record, like, he was like, I'm going for this appointment. Like, we'll have a great visit. That's it. Um, however, he did kind of make a couple of jokes, you know, about how I had treated him the last, you know, the last couple times he has. And it was really interesting because I, I really had not realized the impact, like, that, that, that he was still hanging on to those. I mean, it was 14 years later. And so, um, and, and there had always been a chemistry between us, even when he first approached me, you know, when I was his RA, there was something about him that I knew I was attracted to, but I also was very intimidated by. He has an intensity about him that's hard to articulate. And so, uh, and so anyway, we, we had a great weekend. Um, he really got an, an opportunity to see all of me in terms of like different aspects of my life. And I was at a place in my life where I was probably the happiest I had been to that point. And, so I just really enjoyed sharing it with him. And, and you know, that kind of was the beginning of us being both. So it was kind of like the third time, the charm, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we've been together ever since then, and that was uh, five years ago. So progressing from that then, though, um, Ethan has transitioned 
and legally transitioned. And so now you are, you gender identify as female. You are now married to someone who gender identifies as a male. What does that make your sexual orientation now? Okay. So, so to be fair, this is the question when I was working at Georgia and he and I started dating, I said to him, I'm like, you know, you're really messing with my, my identity, first of all, because one of the activities I would do when I went into class is I would ask them immediately to guess what my sexual orientation was. And I was like, dude, I'm not even sure I have an answer for that now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so for me, one of the things that I learned absolutely from our relationship, because it made me rethink all of that, is that labels are for other people. Like, it doesn't. It didn't matter to me how you you called me. I mean, like it's not. It, it it's everybody else needs to figure out what box to put me in, because mm-hmm. all I knew is that I loved I loved him, and so whatever that means is you know how I. So I, I personally, for me, you know, there are some folks that might still, in my, if they were in my situation, might still identify as a lesbian. Like that's the thing that gets really confusing for people because there's a difference between you know attraction, behavior, and identity. So mm-hmm. someone might be attracted to people of the same sex and might still identify as straight. Um, you know, some people, some somebody might be attracted to people of the same sex, might be intimate with people of the same sex, like take action, have behaviors, but all still identify as straight. And, you know, we as our own selves get to declare what our identity is. For me, lesbian no longer fits because I was no, I was no longer only dating or attracted to people who are female identified, right? So, but, you know, straight didn't work for me because that hadn't worked for me in about 10 years. <laughs> like, and there was no uh-huh. money I was not going, that was never, no, but that's my own journey. Someone else might identify with that label in my situation. Um, I didn't like bisexual because bisexual felt still very binary. And, and that, again, is one of the tricky parts about gender sexuality is getting everybody to even agree on what the meaning of some of the terms are. You know, bisexual to me feels very binary of, like, I'm attracted to kind of masculine men and feminine women. That's what it means for me. Um, there's, there are a couple of terms. There's a, a term that's um, pansexual or omnisexual, which is was coined to be more inclusive of people who are attracted to uh, people who show up, you know, ac- across the gender spectrum between female and male. Um, so maybe like more masculine women or more feminine men or trans people or, you know, that kind of thing. So, but those terms just didn't resonate with me. Although by definition, they would probably not, they, they weren't labels that I really identify with. And so queer, which is another word that people get confused about because, you know, people will say queer. You know, I had a student say to me one time, isn't queer kind of like the N-word? I'm like, well, I don't know. That's a that's a that's an interesting analogy, but I I hear what you're saying in that you know most people perceive it as a slur, and queer is a slur when it's used as a slur. Um, however, queer is also a, a label that a lot of people identify with, and you know some people identify with it because it's kind of a political statement, like taking back the power of that word, and other people identify with it because it's not, it's it's broad, right? Like it doesn't you know closely or or squarely define you um and so some folks prefer queer because it's like i don't you know i know i'm not straight right (laughs) that much i know and so for me queer was just uh if if i have to choose a label when people ask me that question because i do get that question for the same reasons you asked it uh you know i will 
my brief answer is I identify as queer. But most times mm-hmm. when I say that, I then have to explain what queer means and why I identify as queer. <laughs> right. So. so it feels like a more general overarching term. Yeah. Is that sort of what you're saying? Term. It's more inclusive overall. Yeah, yeah. It's more of an umbrella term that kind of includes, you know, basically anybody who challenges the binary, whether it's mm-hmm. with sexuality, sexual orientation, or gender identity or both. Okay, so that leads us into, I think, definitions, right? And the this sort of yeah. GLBTQA, ever-growing, ever-changing acronym and an opportunity for some discussion around the dictionary phrases for all of that. So can you sure. start with GLBTQA and then mm-hmm. also really talk about, like, gender, gender identity and sexual orientation and those sort of sure. continuums? for different parts of that. Sure. So I like to I like to say LGBTQ LMNLP <laughs> because there it truly is. I mean, there's so much language. If if you've heard it all, I know recently, just in the past year or so, Facebook added the option for people to self identify. There were like fifty different gender options alone. So there is truly like a, a limitless number of labels that people use. Um, And so I want to start by just kind of defining, like, the difference between sex, gender identity, gender expression, and sexual orientation so we can kind of get an understanding of that. And then I'll do, you know, as I go, I'll kind of share some of the terms for each, if that's all right. Mm -hmm. Um, So our sex um, or biological sex, sometimes people call it, um, I use the term sex assigned at birth. Uh, because uh, we we think that sex is very binary, like we think everything is binary, right? We think mm-hmm. sex is your male or your female, you know. But uh, I often talk about when the baby's born, how do they determine if it's a boy or a girl? Right? They they look between the legs. I mean, is, right. is this science? Body Does it have mm-hmm. exactly? Is, is there a vagina or is there a penis? Um, and while that is pretty accurate for most people in terms of determining your sex assigned at birth. Um, There's also a a small percentage of babies that are born with, uh, on some spectrum between male or female. And sometimes that's present at birth because there's what they call uh, atypical uh, genitalia. Mm -hmm. But there are also other ways in which that presents. And sometimes it doesn't present until they hit puberty and things don't happen the way that they're anticipated to happen or, or whatnot. There's situations where somebody has an extra chromosome or is missing a chromosome and that, you know, that, those are different ways. And that, that, that is called intersex. So although we think that there's just this male or female thing with sex, there actually is a spectrum for sex as well. Um, so, you know, sex refers to our biological and anatomical makeup, right? Like what our physical body is, um, and so the, the verbiage sex assigned at birth is used because of the, the fact that sometimes it can be mistaken at birth. Like it, you could be assigned uh, female at birth, and then later when you get to puberty, find that you had gonads that never dropped. And, the, you know, just kind of crazy, uh, not crazy, but just kind of different things that you wouldn't expect. Um, and so, 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 gen, so sex, I mean, sorry, sex assigned at birth, that's where that term comes from is, um, you are not necessarily what they assigned you at birth. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so then there's gender identity. And gender identity is about how we identify as 
our gender. Um, and again, the assumption is there's man or woman, right? You either identify as a man or you identify as a woman, and most of us do identify as a man or identify as a woman. However, there are also, again, all of this exists on a spectrum. So in between man and woman, you have, um, you know, gender queer is a term you'll hear, which you heard me talk about the term queer for my sexual orientation. Gender queer is used to describe somebody who maybe, you know, doesn't identify with strongly with either gender or likes to kind of, you know, vacillate between, you know, masculine and feminine. Um, and then, you you know, the term trans, transgender. And so transgender, again, most people perceive the term transgender to be someone who was either assigned a male at birth and is transitioned to female or identifies as female or was born female at birth and identifies as male. And while a lot of trans people do identify as kind of the quote-unquote opposite gender, there's also a whole lot of trans people out there who don't necessarily strongly identify with one end of the spectrum or the other. There are people who, again, kind of are more androgynous or identify with both genders. There's the term bigender, which is somebody who identifies as both male and female uh, or or man and woman. Um, And so it's not as black and white as we like to kind of think about things because that, that does make it simpler. If it was just like this or that, it would make it a lot easier for people to understand. But there's so much nuance to each of these identities, and that's, I think what makes it hard for people to to get their minds around. Um, So gender identity, again, is about how we feel about ourselves, how we experience our gender, how we psychologically identify. Gender Mm -hmm. expression is how we outwardly express our gender, right? Um, And what I want to make sure that I acknowledge before I forget is that we all have all of these identities. So even people who were assigned male at birth and identify as a man or were assigned female at birth and identify as a woman, that's your gender identity. Your gender identity is that you're a man or that you're a woman. Um, And oftentimes people who never have to think a lot about their identities, like, don't think that it's an issue, you know, it doesn't apply to them. Um, So gender expression is probably the most common one that, that people, that really impacts everybody. Um, so when I, when I talk about gender expression, I often say um, I'll do a, a word association game in class where I will use terms um, like careers, right, and ask people, you know, to do a quick word association game. I'm going to say something, and when I say it, I want you to do, I want you to reply with, you know, man or woman. Just don't think about it. Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. And then I would call out things like doctor, nurse, teacher, you know, pilot, lawyer, um, and without fail, like the room would, with few exceptions, would have a resounding, everybody would answer the same answer. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, so it just shows that we had a very, we have very strong ideas about who does what and how people should behave based on how we perceive them, you know, what we perceive their gender to be. And that really impacts all of us. Like that traps everybody because it prevents, I shouldn't say prevent, but it certainly discourages women from being, you know, taking initiative, right? Like if we have women who take charge and are direct and, you know, get things done in the workplace, oftentimes they're referred to as pushy or, you know, not so nice words, right? If you have men who are more passive and kind of laid back and, or who, you know, are more emotionally connected, then oftentimes people will give them hard time too about being too soft. 
right? So, Mm -hmm. and and that is regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity, right? Like we don't, we don't think of men as being nurses or teachers, you know, we don't, when when you talk about doctors and lawyers, most times people assume that that person is a man. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really important. And I really think that that's where, where a lot of this is tied up. And I mentioned when I first started talking earlier that how sexual orientation and gender identity are really wrapped up in each other. Um, and the reason I say that is because people tend to per, people tend to read your sexual orientation based not on who you're attracted to, but on your gender expression. Mm-hmm. And so let me move on to sexual orientation. I can kind of unpack some of that. So, um, so sexual orientation, we talk about sex is what your you know your body, your anatomical makeup, your your physical being. Your gender identity is how you psychologically and emotionally identify in terms of gender. Your gender expression is how you express yourself. And sexual orientation is kind of like not connected to the first three at all because sexual orientation is about who you are attracted to. And sexual orientation is not dependent upon any of the first three we talked about. So with sexual orientation, you have at one end, um, you know, attraction to men. At the other end of the spectrum, attraction to women. And this is much easier when I have a visual and I can kind of show you, but... Um, the point is that you can be anywhere on that spectrum. And there's actually now a a newer model that's a pluralistic model that would be very hard to explain without a visual. But um, just know that you can be anywhere on that spectrum regardless of how you identify otherwise. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when I would do the activity where I asked people to guess what my sexual orientation was, I also asked them a second question, which was, why do you think that? So if you guessed that I was straight, what made you think that? If you guessed that I was, you know, lesbian, what made you think that, et cetera? And without fail, there were a couple different patterns that came up. And one of the strongest patterns was that they based it a lot on my gender expression. So people would assume that I was straight because I was so effeminate. Because I had, you know, I, I wore dresses or I wore heels or I had makeup on or I had a, a, an engagement ring, right? All kinds of, you know, so all kinds of, um, like, social cues that were based on yeah. gender expression. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's what I mean about them kind of being all wrapped up in each other. Because what I asked them was, who am I attracted to? Mm-hmm. Not how I identify or about my gender at all. Who am I attracted to? And they came right. up with their answer based specifically on how I look and how I express my gender. So I really think these things are really more intricately wrapped up in each other than we like to uh, acknowledge. Okay. So as always, well, I just, I want to be mindful of time and I want to get into the right. bathroom discussion too. Um, but go ahead, sure. finish up. No, I wanted to make sure I got did I did I cover everything you wanted me to to yes, explain. Yes, and I was thinking okay. too that um, it's interesting because uh, you know um, I have a chemistry degree and cis and trans mean similar things mm-hmm. in chemistry as they do in this world, yeah. right? Which makes sense. I mean, but for folks that didn't really realize, cis means like same. Or in chemistry, it's same side related to atoms and molecules and trans being um, generally scientifically, it's opposite. But I would mm-hmm. argue from what you're saying, it's sort of just um, not the same. <laughs> Whatever is not the same. Right. Um, you know, right. So when you were talking about sort of like uh, cisgender or transgender, um, 
you know, that's that's a piece I want to make sure to clarify for anybody in the audience who, right. who doesn't understand that piece. Um, and I want to make sure I say, we jumped right in, I was so excited to jump in, that um, I didn't share that folks can call in. Uh, the number is 646-716-9397. Press 1 if you want to chat with Jennifer or I or ask a question. Again, 646 716 9397 and I gave Jennifer the chance to give her contact information at the beginning and again I was so excited I went on without mine so at the end we'll make sure to share uh, my contact information and Jennifer's again to make sure that if you want to um, reach us with questions comments concerns uh, agreements disagreements <laughs> we'll be happy to take those things uh, later on so part of what I wanted to make sure that I got into Jennifer was you know, what? what is this thing that just happened related mm -hmm. to the Obama administration that has everybody all up in arms? Like, what is this new law? What What is happening right now as succinctly as you can say it? And then that way we can get to what are some people sort of complaining about or, like, what is the mm -hmm. frustration around it? And we can get at some of those points, too. Right. So essentially my understanding is that it's been determined that in the school systems that we will honor people as they identify, which extends also to you being able to use the restroom with which they identify. Um, gender identify. Yes, yes. To clarify with your With the gender which they identify. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, um, one of the things that, well, I won't go into any more in case I was if that answers the question. But essentially, that that's what's happened. And I, I was recently at the White House summit on LGBT issues that happened here in um, at U of M Dearborn a couple of weeks ago. And there were people here from the Obama administration, and there was a woman um, who was from the uh, Office of Civil Rights, and she talked about the various situations that were happening across the country that they'd been involved in resolving. And, you know, essentially at the heart of this matter is making sure that all kids have the opportunity to feel safe in their learning environment. Like kids cannot, it's like the you know hierarchy of needs, right? Like you can't learn and develop and grow and become who you're, you know, who you're supposed to be if you are, you know, preoccupied with whether or not you can safely use the restroom. Um, and yes, so, that's a great point, right? Because that's what a lot of people are saying is that somehow with this new law, women and children are at a greater risk than they used to be. Um, and I want us to chat about that because I have a very strong opinion, several very strong opinions about that sentiment. Mm -hmm. But how do you respond to that piece that women and children are at greater risk? Right, 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 right. So, yeah, I have some pharmacy news about that too. Um, and I, I sat down to kind of try to write about this yesterday because I was feeling, I had some thoughts about it. And what I feel like is, so let me, let me try to answer this question by talking about my thoughts about how we work this out. So my idea about how we work this out is that we make all public restrooms gender inclusive. So what we're, what we're, what's currently happening is we're trying to, well, not everybody, but folks are trying to make the binary bathroom system, like, 
work in the way that they want it to work. Like they want to keep a men's room and a ladies' room, and then they want to try to regulate who can go into which room, right? Mm-hmm. To me, mm-hmm. a that makes no sense because who's going to be who's going to be at the door check, checking people's pants? Because essentially, that's what you got to do, right? Like I I have no idea. There are so many trans folks. If you were to meet them and you see them on Facebook, like people will post, like, is this the guy you want in the in the ladies' room, right? Or you know, does it make sense to have this woman going into the men's room just because of what's on their uh, their birth certificate? Um, and so it's it's it, it, it's un it's un um, enforceable. It, it doesn't make any sense. It only creates you know a, a harmful situation for a lot of people. So one of the things I would say about that, Nikki, is that. Um, the, the people who are concerned, I, I think that there should be all-inclusive restrooms. I think that that allows for people, first of all, that's kind of how it's always been. To my knowledge, a few years ago I started doing some research about birth certificates and our gender markers and those kinds of things. And what I found was that at that point there didn't appear to be any laws on the books whatsoever about who can use which bathroom. There were laws about safety in the in the bathroom. You know, obviously you can't assault someone, you can't, you know, sexually molest someone. You can't do that anywhere. But there was nothing that right. said the laws are the I same in the bathroom way. as they are in the hallway and outside <laughs> and football stadium and school right. and your work or on the street or in the car or the grocery store or the Walmart. Right. Right? I mean right. Those are but there's no all law. Yeah. Right. But yeah. there's no there's no law to my knowledge up up until now when these have been introduced, there was no law that said that if I as a cisgender woman with a vagina walked into a men's room to use the toilet could be arrested or could be, you know, cited for anything. There were no laws on the book. It was simply a societal practice. Like we had just right. that's how we've done it. This is how we've always done it. So right. there's nothing on the books to do that in the first place. And so to me, it makes sense. If we make all of the restrooms, I mean, all of the restrooms have a stall. If you have to put a stall around, you know, the toilet, it's no different than walking into your bathroom at home, right? right. You're going no into a room knows. where there's a toilet and you close the door. Like, you don't have a room, you know, you don't have a bathroom at home, one for, you know, the boys and one for the girls. I mean, most people don't. I, I've never met anyone who has that situation going on, Right. So right. in my mind, if anybody can go into the restroom, it allows us to do the same checks and balances that it allows us to do anywhere else. Right. What's, what's illegal is inappropriate behavior. It's not illegal to use a toilet. And so if we right. made the restrooms where everyone could go in, there's a sink that's accessible to everyone or sinks, and there are, there are toilet stalls, then it allows you to, you know, like kind of check and deal with everybody, right? If you have people who are worried about their daughter going into the bathroom by herself and being approached by somebody, who, you know, a man who's going to say he's a woman so that he can do whatever, like then go into the restroom with her, right? Everybody can be in the restroom together. And so, you know, that that is kind of the approach to that, because that to me, it doesn't, it, there's no enforcing it. There's no need to, you know, harass people to figure out what they have in their pants. What's happening now because of these bathroom bills is atrocious. There was a woman a few weeks ago in North Carolina where they recently passed a bathroom bill who was literally drug out of the stall while she was defecating because someone perceived her to be male. Turns out she was not a man. She was not even transgender that I know of. She just was a masculine-appearing woman. And mm-hmm. it, it, I couldn't even read the whole article because it, it put me in such a place energetically. Like, I just, 
it was hard for me to, like to experience to, to even imagine experiencing that. And for what? The woman was do- she was doing her business. That's it. Right. She wasn't bothering you know? anybody else. And and I would encourage exactly. the audience to really think about what what if it were them. Right? Like, what yes. if it were you and all of a sudden you looked too feminine or you looked too masculine? People made assumptions based on, um, you know, to your point earlier, like, well, she has a ring on or um, you, just looks a certain way. I mean, who knows? And and I want to share a couple things that I've been thinking about it. Um, you know, one, criminals don't follow the law. That's what makes them criminals. And so some sign that says, this is a female restroom or a male restroom, if somebody intends to go into a bathroom to harm someone else, they don't care what the sign says, right? And plenty of women, unfortunately, over many, 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 many years have been sexually assaulted in the bathroom by men long before there was any of this talk about transgender, right? And to your point, nothing stops someone from calling the police if they feel that they've been harassed, assaulted, inappropriately treated somehow, if you truly believe Mm -hmm. a man came in the bathroom, you have every right to leave the bathroom. You have every right to report it to management. You have every right still to call the police. But then you have to be prepared to tell the police or the manager what that person did wrong. And using the bathroom, to your point earlier, is not illegal. So if a criminal is a criminal is a criminal and they intend, someone intends to do you harm in the bathroom, they're going to potentially do you harm in the bathroom. This sense Mm -hmm. that kids are somehow more in danger in the bathroom, again, unfortunately, criminals have gone into schools, into bathrooms to assault Mm -hmm. kids long before this law ever came into fruition. And and you just said it, but I'm amazed at the number of people that allow their very young children to go into the restroom alone. Mm -hmm. So don't do Mm -hmm. that. So don't do that. And in that way, this gender-neutral bathroom piece, frankly, makes it easier for men to take their female daughters into the bathroom. I mean, women forever have taken their sons into the bathroom with them, and no one ever questioned that being an issue. Right. And well, listen, and for better or for worse, kids are looking under stalls. Kids do all exactly. sorts of things that make me far more uh, uh, uncomfortable right. <laughs> than what another well, adult is doing in the stall beside me. Absolutely. And Nikki, forgive me for interrupting, but I want to make a point that I would like to piggyback on kind of what you're saying, because the other thing that I would like to point out that I think a lot of people don't think about is, one, like you said, the, you know, boys have been coming into the ladies' room with their parent, with their moms for years and years and years, and nobody takes issue with that. But two, you know, we talk about w- women and, and girls. We're, we're so worried about our women and our girls. And there are, you know, boys are molested. There, there are men who are molesters who are going to the bathroom in public places in, in the men's room every day. And right. boys are going into the – but we're not concerned about boys getting molested in the boys' room, right? It, it's right. all about these women and, and, and girls. The other thing that I would say is that, you know, one, I did some research last night looking at um, the statistics about, you know, uh, victims of sexual assault. And, and what they're finding is that the, uh, the occurrence of um, people who are, are sexually assaulted or molested, the, the – it's happening as frequently with with boys as it is with girls, um, yeah. and that 
mostly it's that it's probably being underreported with boys, right? Right. Um, and, and the other thing that I would offer is that I get that we want, you know, we want people to be safe in the bathrooms, everyone to be safe in the bathroom. And a conversation that I had a, a while ago with someone who was, who was, had posted something on Facebook and they had somebody who was really challenging them about it and we were having a conversation and I said, the thing that is, is a little frustrating is that, you know, their argument was, I want to be safe in the bathroom. It was a woman. I want to be safe in the bathroom. I want to know my daughter can go in the bathroom, et cetera, et cetera. And absolutely, I think that's the right everybody should have. And, and to that point, the argument people are making is that we want to make women and girls safe in the ladies' room, but they want to do it at the cost of putting trans people in harm. Because essentially by doing that, you're forcing people, if, if we really do force people to use the restrooms that, that match the, the sex assigned at birth, you're forcing people, you know, to go into restrooms where they're going to be harassed. They're going to be potentially assaulted. So why is it that we value the lives and the safety and the comfort of women and girls, cisgender women and girls, more than we value the lives and the comfort and the safety of trans people because it, it, they, they are unfortunately in the situation with the bills that are being proposed at the cost of each other. Right. And that's the and, part and this, that we can't, you know, people can't, people often, it's like a zero sum game, right? Like people think that in order for me to win, you've got to lose and it doesn't have to be that way. Right. And I've been arguing with folks lately that, that transgender people have been in your bathroom for your whole life. You just right. didn't know it. Right? right? I mean, there have been, quote, unquote, like sexually assigned men in my bathroom for my whole life. And mm -hmm. I didn't care, and I didn't know it, and they did their thing, and I did my thing, and it was fine. Mm -hmm. And for our whole lives, statistically speaking, Men have gone into, as you're saying, men and women's bathrooms to do harm. Are there women mm. that are also child molesters and, and assaulting other people? Sure. I mean, mm -hmm. statistically speaking, that number is far lower. But, yes, nothing stops a woman from going into a woman or a man's bathroom and still assaulting yep. them. Right? Absolutely. And so, I mean, that part is not any different in this sense that, now we need to be worried about our own safety, that somehow transgender people are dangerous, first of all, is insane to me. Because mm -hmm. all the transgender people I know have had to be so worried about their own safety right. that they are not trying to hurt anybody else. They are trying mm -hmm. to live in a world where we say live and let live, right? I'm just trying mm -hmm. to do my thing, and I want you to do your thing, and I am not after anyone. And so then other people mm -hmm. say, well, this just gives men the right to, like, put a dress on and come in a women's bathroom. Right, right. Well, no. I mean, that, that, that was always possible. <laughs> and that was always legal. To your point, there was never a law that said women right. have to go to women's bathrooms and men have to go to men's bathrooms. And yep. I know quite a few women who have used a men's bathroom because they didn't want to stand in line behind yep. 15 other women. Yep. And I can't Absolutely. tell you how tempted I've been in the world to do that very same thing. I am done. And nobody I'm would think twice about that. Nobody yeah. would complain yeah. about a woman going into a men's bathroom because there were 15 men, women in the men in the women's line and they, you know, went in the other door. 
But now all of a sudden we're making this about women and kids and their safety. Mm -hmm. The other thing I've heard is this sense that there's all this money going to have to be spent by businesses and schools and whatever for this very small population. Well, number one, the population isn't all that small. And number two, what are we really talking about here? Because all I can come up with in terms of what we're really talking about here is potentially a sign or two. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I would argue that every business and every school is wasting more money than a sign or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that the argument that's being made about that is what were, or ironically, because I read the I read the bill. So I'm in Michigan, and just yesterday it was announced that one of our senators senators has introduced one of these bathroom bills for Michigan, and I read the verbiage of the bill, and ultimately what it states is that you know. Uh, transgender kids cannot use the bathroom with which they identify. Like unless their unless their documents have been changed and everything has been legally changed, then they you know they can't use the restrooms um, that they identify with. And that essentially schools are going to have to provide an alternative. And so that's probably where that argument is coming from about spending money because the presumption is that they're going to have to either build more bathrooms so that they can provide an alternate, but that doesn't have anything to do with what the Obama administration said with the, you know, they are saying that kids can use the bathroom which they identify. So really, like you said, the only, the only cost incurred there might be a, a sign to change it from a, a gendered sign to, a, you know, a gender-inclusive sign. But these bathroom bills that are passing, those I can see there being costs involved because the schools are going to be um, charged with providing, they have to provide facilities for everybody, but they're saying certain people can't use certain bathrooms. So then what do you do? If that's the case, uh-huh. you've got to either you know, change one restroom to one that's accessible for, you know, a different group of people, or you got to find a way to get more toilets, right? So, you know, that's kind of, and going back to what you were saying about the population being so small, so I did some research this morning about that too, because there is a general, you know, kind of a a figure that has been used that is 0.3% of U.S. adults, which is about 700,000 people. However, that figure is based on data from two surveys. One was conducted in Massachusetts in 2007 and 2009 and found that 0.5% of respondents ages 18 to 64 identified as transgender. The other done in California in 2003 um, to look at trends in LGBT tobacco use found that 0.1% of adults in California identified as transgender. So, you know, the person who did the um, demographer who did that work said himself, that using the surveys to get the 0.3% estimate takes a lot of statistical gymnastics. It, it, it best, it's a, it's a rough estimate. Um, and the other point that was made is that, you know, this, this information isn't collected. The U.S. Census Bureau doesn't ask who's transgender, uh, nor does the Centers for, De- uh, for Disease Control and Prevention. However, the point that's made is that even if they did, the responses might not be reliable because a lot of people are going to be afraid to answer, especially right now. And two, going back to what I was talking about language and, you know, even understanding, like, the meaning is that, you know, people disagree on what transgender even means and how they identify. So it's, it's, a, it's a very elusive number. So it's, it's, it's a misperception to think we know that there's only a small population of trans people. There's not. I mean, there, there's no way for us to know what that number is. And two, m- the bigger point for me is it's really not about trans people anyway. 
we right. want to make this about trans people because we don't understand them and we think they're different and people think it's weird. But ultimately, going back to what I was saying about gender expression, this is not about trans people. This is about the woman who was pulled out of the bathroom while she was taking a dump because she looked too masculine. This is about, you know, people trying to regulate, you know, where you can go and how you can act because of how you look. We are all trapped in that box by gender, whether it's how, you know, what jobs we can, you know, be hired for, how we're treated at work, how we're treated, you know, by other people. It's all about gender expression and we all have gender identity and gender expression and we're all trapped in those stereotypes in those boxes that we put people in so people want to make it about transgender people there's not a lot of them a you don't know that we have no idea how people identify and b it doesn't matter because it's not just about transgender people are not the only people who have gender identity and gender expression issues right like we all experience some kind of treatment because of how we express our gender well, and I would argue there's two points that come up about that for me. When I worked in domestic violence work, I would be around the community saying, you absolutely know someone getting abused right now. Mm-hmm. You don't, You may not mm-hmm. know that they are, but you know someone, right? They work with you. They're your dentist. They're your secretary. They're your attorney, right? Whatever that is, um, you know, you know somebody several, likely, statistically speaking, some bodies in your life getting abused. Mm-hmm. And so I would make the same argument around GLBT, is that there are people that are surrounding you every day who have mm-hmm. a gender identity or a sexual orientation that you are unaware of. Or, yep. you know, if there's <laughs> transgender people all around you, you just don't know it. And they've never hurt mm-hmm. you, and it's not about the bathroom and whatever else. I would also argue this sense that lots of businesses, especially small businesses that don't have all kinds of bathrooms to choose from, have always had a sign that had men and women on it. It was just an individual Mm -hmm. bathroom, or they called it a family bathroom or whatever. That solves all Mm -hmm. the trouble. Put a men's and women's sign on all the bathrooms and, like, whatever. Nobody is going to think twice about those pieces. And the other mm-hmm. thing is we happen to be talking about gender identity and sexual orientation and, and, and all this stuff now because that's the current taboo. It wasn't mm-hmm. all that long ago, if we really think back, that it was, quote, unquote, appropriate for people of color to sit a certain place on a bus, to use a mm-hmm. certain water mm-hmm. fountain, to have a certain bathroom. Yeah. And we as a culture have decided that's no longer appropriate. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. never, ever would anyone say a Christian can't X, Y, Z. Right. A Christian can't go in this bathroom. A Christian can't buy that kind of car. A Christian can't, mm-hmm. you know, it, use this particular grocery store, right? So if sure. we're unwilling to say it around religion, if we're now unwilling to say it around race, if we're unwilling to say it around um, socioeconomic status or any other thing that somehow classifies people, it makes complete and utter sense to me that now this has risen to the surface as another place where people are being discriminated against, where we mm-hmm. as a culture are saying, why is it okay to discriminate against this population? We've decided it is unacceptable to discriminate based on all these other things that we equally mm-hmm. have no control over. <laughs> I didn't get to decide the parts in my pants, as you mentioned earlier. And I would argue that it's never been a decision of mine who I'm attracted to or fall in love with or any of those things. It is no different than the fact that I didn't choose to be white or fair-skinned or the person Mm -hmm. that gets sunburned every time I walk outside. 
I didn't right. choose any of that. But it's a part right. of my life that I now, quote, unquote, deal with, whether I am conscious of it or not, any day of the week. Mm-hmm. This is no mm-hmm. different than that piece. We are, you know, out of time, as always. This is such an interesting conversation, (laughs) and we go so long. But I do want to give you a chance quickly to talk, to speak to this religion piece, right, this sense Mm -hmm. that um, a lot of people say that sexual identity, sexual orientation, gender identity, like all these pieces are somehow wrapped up and are not Christian, go against things that the Bible says. So what, how do you respond to that sentiment? So I have a couple things I definitely want to mention. For one, for people who have real strong ideas about this or, or, you know, or maybe are struggling with it because their family has real strong opinions about this, there are a couple of resources out there that are really great that will give you some perspective. One is a documentary called So the Bible Tells Me So. Um, and it, it really looks at what does the Bible actually say about homosexuality. It follows the stories of some um, people and families who have kids who come out. It's a really great documentary. You should check it out. There's also a book called The Children Are Free, which looks at a lot of the scripture in the Bible that people often call the clobber passages because they're used to kind of clobber you. Um, that really, you know, the, the most common scriptures that people bring up when they talk about homosexuality and how it's a sin, et cetera. Um, and so what I would say is that um, check those things out because I, I just was sharing with Nikki the other day that I had a conversation at church on Sunday with someone about this, um, and we weren't able to get into it. But what's interesting is that, you know, one, there's a lot of different versions of the Bible. Two, there's a lot of different interpretations of the Bible. And ultimately, um, you know, I feel like at the end of the day, regardless of what you believe in terms of your religion about homosexuality, ultimately it, what what is happening is between you and God, right? Whoever your God is, whatever God, you know, whatever religion you practice. And so, um, you know, one point that this person that I was talking with who happened to identify as a Christian was saying, you know, he made the point of that people who identify or, or behave in homosexual ways, for lack of a better way, that's kind of how we put it, not how I would have put it, but um, are, are, are no more a sinner than on anybody else. That, mm-hmm. you know, we're all sinners, we all sin, you know, there's no there's no worse sin than the other. And while I get that and respect that, you know, that perspective, I suppose, I also took issue with that because that also, to me, say, it implied that we need to ask forgiveness for being the person that I believe God made us to be. Um, and that's, of course, debatable. Like, we could have conversations about whether or not God made us this way, et cetera. But, again, that goes back to some of the resources that I provided. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the way I feel about it is that, you know, you don't have to understand me or even approve of me, whatever the heck that means. Like, do you need my approval to be who you are? No, you don't. So you don't need to fully understand people to love people and respect them. And I believe all religions are about love. God is about love. Whoever you, you, you know, God, source, spirit, it's all about love. And, you know, I don't believe that we as people are supposed to be the ones who are, you know, projecting our religious beliefs on other people. Like our spirituality is about our relationship with our God. And so, you know, while you can certainly, I know that part of the, the Christianity thing is about bringing people to Jesus, great. 
Um, but I also feel like it's about allowing people, you know, once you have shared that and, and allowing people to have their own journey, allowing people to believe what they believe. And, you know, you, me allowing you to be who you are in no way prevents me from being who I am. And that, I think, is what's the important thing. And I think that that is part of what will reach beyond the religion thing because I don't have to believe what you believe. You don't have to believe what I believe, but it doesn't mean that we can't coexist. Yeah, folks that have listened to me have heard me talk a lot about living in the land of abundance. And in the land mm-hmm. of abundance, everybody gets to be who they are, and that's mm-hmm. accessible. And I, I want to challenge folks to say, um, you know, when you're perfect, when everything is going the way that you want, when you behave without a sin, without an improper thought, without um, – you know, a snarky, sarcastic retort to something someone says or does. Like, when you are living the perfect life, perhaps then you feel like you can judge others, but I would argue you're never going to get to be perfect, number one. Mm -hmm. And number Mm -hmm. two, the moment when you are, (laughs) or you're even getting close to enlightenment, your interest is not in pulling anybody else down. Right. Mm -hmm. Your interest is in continuing to pull people up. And I would argue Mm -hmm. that, you know, I hope more religions or more people who allege that they're religious live in the land of lifting people up rather than um, Mm -hmm. tearing people down. You know, I'm not sure where that gets most folks. Um, And it isn't what encourages me to show up at a church on whatever day my church service is. So, um, you know, that's that's an important part. Okay, the one other thing, I, I want to say two other things just for folks that, that may be um, less aware. Um, one is the issue around pronouns, right? People, particularly institutions of higher education, but other, other companies and corporations that are on the front end of this are now creating um, name tags and, and uh, email signatures and such that include the pronoun they would like to be called by. And so Mm -hmm. um, I would just throw that out there to people that if you are starting to see people with name tags or email signatures that say, you know, she, her, whatever, or his, him, whatever else, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that you respect that person's wishes around that piece. And then also mm-hmm. a thing that happens in a lot of schools and, and higher ed is something called safe zone training. And um, I know Jennifer mm-hmm. and I have been through it. Jennifer's probably taught a bunch of those. But um, mm-hmm. it's a really, really interesting training that is very, very eye-opening, even if you're someone who believes that you're in the know. Um, because the safe zone training evolves to, to talk about new language, like you mentioned pansexual earlier, right? It, it does the mm-hmm. LGBTQA as you said earlier, you know, as that language evolves, as new things come out, safe zone training helps you understand what's new and out there, helps you have a better appreciation for what folks are going through that that might, you know, consider themselves in any of those populations. Um, And then once you've been through safe zone training, if you're so inclined, you know, you can hang a sign that says that you're safe zone trained and that your office your space, your home, your car, whatever feels important to you is a safe zone for people um, who who are in the GLBTQA population. So I would just throw that out for people who didn't know that those things are available. Um, let's go ahead then, Jen. What If there's something that you would want to leave our audience with, if there's a, a nugget 
Um, mm-hmm. What would you want to leave them thinking about um, as as we end the show? I think ultimately, you know, something that's important in a lot of different things that are happening in our world is sometimes we're so quick to take everything at face value and we're so quick to just believe what the media is telling us. And I think that it's really important for us to think deeper about that. You know, a perfect example of it was a question about, well, the transgender population is so, so small. Why are we spending all this money, blah, blah, blah. You know, getting getting it, stopping and really rethinking that. Like, is the population really that small? Do we know how big the population even is? Instead of just hearing the noise, jumping on the bandwagon, and thinking we know, you know, exactly what's going on. I think it's so important for us to challenge ourselves about what do I really know about this? And, you know, if something makes me uncomfortable, really asking the question about what about this makes me uncomfortable? Why am I uncomfortable about this? And being willing to, you know, ask those questions, to to have open dialogue, um, rather than just simply, like, staking your your position and sticking to it, you know. And I think that that's what a lot of us do. And and we also think about a lot of this as, like, a zero-sum game. Like, in order for me to win, you have to lose. In order for me to be right, you have to be wrong. And Mm -hmm. that's just not how the world is. And so, um, you know, going back to my point about, you know, you allowing me to be who I am in no way prevents you from being you, you are. There's power in that. Like you can, you can, you can hold one belief and one opinion that's in conflict with the opinion and the belief that I have, and we're we're both going to be okay. Like I don't have to yeah. disappear because, right? Like I don't have to force right. you off to a corner because I don't agree with you. Like we can coexist, but we live in a world where we think that that's not the case. You're wrong. Right. I'm right. You've got, you know, you've got to be a particular way. You've got to see it my way. You've got to think the way I think, and that just doesn't. That's never going to work. And until we can figure and out what if that's not going you became, yeah, what if you became my best friend? What if right. I learned an awful lot from you and it changed how I view the world? Like, what yeah. if, amazingly, <laughs> your life could be better because you were open, uh, just mm-hmm. open to whatever and, that means you were open? Um, and I have been doing some research. how it works for me. Right, right, yeah. I had been doing some research, and there's a, a website called LambdaLegal.org, um, and one of mm-hmm. the FAQs was, don't unisex bathrooms leave women more vulnerable to being harassed or attacked by men than gender-segregated bathrooms do? And this is the nugget I want to leave for everybody. Their answer is, this argument is based on a myth. There is no evidence that gender-segregated bathrooms are safer for cisgender women Mm -hmm. than unisex bathrooms. And besides, there are laws protecting people from criminal conduct in public bathrooms. If Mm -hmm. anything, a concern for safety weighs in favor of bathroom accessibility. And so that's what I would leave to people, along with what you said. Do your own research. Come up with your own ideas. Um, Jen, one more Mm -hmm. time, how can people reach you if they want to continue the conversation with you? They can check out my website, which is jennifermiracle.com. They can find me on Facebook on my public figure page under Jennifer Miracle Best, um, or you can email me at jennifer at jennifermiracle.com. Great. And for those folks that want to find me, I'm on Facebook at Grounded Vision Coaching, and my email address is Nikki at GroundedVisionCoaching.com. I hope you'll reach out to us. I hope you'll uh, listen to this podcast again if there were parts that Uh, you didn't understand or maybe misheard or would like to listen to again, I hope you'll share the podcast 
um, with other folks that you believe might benefit from listening to it. Um, I did want to let you know, in terms of other shows, the Life Coach Chat Channel today at 1 p.m., uh, Divya will be on, and the Life Coach Radio Network uh, has a show on June 3rd at noon, Create Your Bliss. I will be back on the Life Coach Radio Network on June 9th and 23rd, both at 10 a.m., so I hope you'll come and find me there. Um, reach out to Jennifer, reach out to me. Um, this is a conversation far from over, and so uh, I hope we keep having, having it. Thank you, thank you, Jennifer, for chatting with us today. I hope that, that, as I said, people reach out to you and to me. And to our audience, be good to yourself, be good to one another, and have a great day. Bye for now. <laughs>